Yes, welcome back to Dylan Friends. Uh, teach me, please. Teach me plus. This is one of the most anticipated episodes, I think, me and producer Darcy, or should I say producer Darcy and I, have been uh, ready to dive into sleep. Wow. Darcy, how do you sleep? Pretty well. If you didn't hear him, he said pretty well. I sleep in pretty good at the moment too because I have a baby that I'm scared that if I don't sleep, I could die. But hey, today, <clears throat> introducing Dr. Garen Hamilton. Garen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. How good is this? I'm really, really pleased and really excited to have you in, mate. It's um, it's a genuine honour. Looking through your rap sheet, um, shouldn't say rap sheet, but your uh, what you've achieved and what you've done and what you've studied. It's a it's a really impressive and long list. Thank you. That's a lot. Like I can imagine, there's just been a lot of time spent researching, studying. Every, like yeah, has that been a big part of your life? Yeah, a lot of study. Yeah, yeah. Um, both at school, university, and then after graduating and working. So it's just endless learning, really. But I, I like it. Unbelievable. For those out there who you know might not have heard you before or know what you do, how would you explain who you are, what you do, and and what your your stick is? Okay. Uh, well, I've got a few different roles, but primarily I'm, I'm a clinician. I'm a, I'm a specialist doctor. I'm a respiratory and sleep specialist. Um, so a big part of what I do is to see patients uh, with breathing and sleep problems. Um, I also do some research as well. Um, and I do a lot of work in sort of education and advocacy at the moment. Um, I'm currently just um, the president of the Australasian Sleep Association, which is our uh, main professional body. So sort of doing some work along that as long as all the, the clinical and other, other work that I do. Unbelievable. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's, it's seriously impressive and I'm, I'm absolutely honoured as I do not say that lightly to have you in today, mate. So we're very excited. We've got, I think we open up the audience for questions uh, always at the end and we ask, uh, ask answer a couple of um, questions from the audience. And I must say this was the most highly... Uh, asked questioned episode that we'd had and that's you know how to buy a house how to start a business how to start a clothing brand how to have a good diet the most anticipated for, uh, by far was was sleep and how to get a good sleep so it shows how important um and how much how much people want to you know value a good night's sleep yeah absolutely let's um let's get into it mate how do you what what is sleep let's go let's start there yeah so um so sleeps it's a a state where we lose consciousness and we lose an awareness of of what's going on in the surroundings. Um, and it, it has a restorative function. Obviously, we all know that when we're exhausted and tired and then we, we need sleep to then recover uh, and feel better. Um, it helps with um, uh, memory uh, and learning. So we, we learn better when we sleep well. Um, so it's, it's crucial to all, all mental and uh, physical processes, critical for our mental health as well as our, our physical health. Everything, really. Everything, exactly. Everything. Yep. What happens to our bodies? Like you just mentioned a few things then, but in terms of like the science around it or the most well-known things that happen when we sleep, what are they most responsible for? Okay, so we could sort of look at it in a, f a few broad different ways. We could um, think first, well, um, what types of sleep are there? Because mm. it's important that there are different types. So in broad terms, there's called non-rapid eye movement or non-REM sleep. The brain activity typically is more slow and regular, um, and there's different depths of that. And then there's also rapid eye movement or REM sleep. And um, although we dream in, in both types, often the most sort of classical and emotive sort of dreams um, do tend to happen in REM sleep, um, and, and people often sort of think and talk, talk about that. And people often ask, well, what, what's the most important uh, sleep? And it's really getting the right proportions so that we, we move through the night 
we start off in non-REM and um, and then after a period of time we go into a, a, a REM sleep patch and then we move through cycles like that and as the night goes on tend to get more and more REM sleep. Um, the deepest sleep is usually in the first half to two thirds of the night um, and then sleep is lighter naturally as, as we go on in the second part of the night. When we're young, we have lots of really deep sleep, um, and that and sleep also naturally gets sort of lighter and more towards the front of the night as we as we get older. Um, and um, you know, typically, um, when we're sleeping, we'll also be physically restful, um, but you can have movements in sleep um, due to what's called arousals, where um, you know, your brain suddenly transiently wakes and you might move, you can get muscle twitches and movements, you can get breathing disturbances and, and also things like sleepwalking, what mm. we call parasomnias, where, where people do activities actually in their sleep and, and aren't aware of it. I've got the weirdest story that I don't think I should bring up, but I'm going to anyway. And it's not to do with, because I really want to talk about the REM and non-REM, because yep. that's very big part of the show today. But my mate, actually, you'll hate me bringing this up, I won't name him, <laughs> but he has this thing where if he's been out drinking, he always gets up in the middle of the night and urinates in his bedroom. Have you ever heard of that happening before? Uh, I, I have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's sort of a, any behaviour that occurs during sleep without yeah. any sort of full awareness is called a parasomnia. Um, and um, there are things that can precipitate that. Just staying up late can yeah. potentially make something like that more to do with happen, the alcohol but, intake but, but than the, the sleep, alco maybe. the alcohol is a big factor there because... Uh, alcohol, uh, as well as its own intoxicating effects, um, that initially helps you get into sleep, but then your sleep is more disturbed yep. um, later on in the night. Definitely. And I, I, I've got a great section on that that I'd love to talk about mm -hmm. the alcohol and yep. the effects of alcohol of sleeping. Going back to REM versus non-REM. Now, I didn't realise REM meant rapid eye movement. Is mm -hmm. that what That's it correct. stands for? Yep. So when you were saying before about REM sleep versus non-REM sleep, are you actually saying that when REM is in, your eyes are moving? Is that yeah, what that, that means? Yeah, that's right. So, right. It's, so it's interesting. So it was described and called rapid eye movement sleep um, when um, the, the scientists noted that in that period of sleep, most of the body becomes paralyzed so that uh, muscle activity reduces to really low levels apart from the breathing muscles, the diaphragm, uh, but also the eyes. And the, the eyes would sort of dart around um, in bursts. And that's how it got the name rapid eye movement. And then if they woke people up during this, they would sort of remember their dreaming and particularly emotive sort of dreams. Yeah. So this, and REM sleep was discovered, I think approximately sort of 50 years ago. Um, so it's a very different state. So it's some, sometimes thought of as an active sleep Whereas in non-REM sleep, everything's sort of quieter and uh, in the body. Incredible. If we could really um, break it down and go from like, all right, you get into bed, close your eyes, and a bit of a sort of timeline of what a natural night's sleep would look like or how it sort of predominantly should look for mm -hmm. the average human, how would that sort of translate? So, um, so as I said, we can think about how we transition through the, the stages. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been through that. Um, but we, so you close, yeah, sorry, just to sorry. confirm, you close your eyes, you go into non-REM first. Correct. Yeah. Where, so yeah. your eyes aren't moving. So that's right. So you yeah. go, you go into non-REM and there's a, uh, a rare disorder called narcolepsy where people do go into REM sleep too quickly, but, but normally you'll take sort of an average of 60 to 90 minutes to hit your first REM sleep period. So you'll typically transition hopefully quickly through light sleep stages and then get pretty um, pretty quickly if you're sleeping well into what we call deep slow wave sleep. 
Um, and and you'll have a lot of that in that first few hours of the night and then sort of lighten up, come into some REM and then sort of go back and, and deepen again. So you'll, you'll sort of go up and down mm. like this. Um, and, uh, and as I said, though, but waking up intermittently through the night is normal. So sometimes people think that, look, I, you know, I have to sleep the whole night long without waking at all for it to be normal. Um, and yes, there are people obviously that, that do that, but, but to wake transiently is pretty common and normal. Um, particularly again as we as we get older um, and things normally in life disturb us. So it's not a problem as long as we get back to sleep again quickly. Yeah, it's one of those things that we were sort of talking about before we came on on the, the airwaves where all the good conversations always sort of start. It was talking about the, you know, when you are struggling to sleep and I definitely went through a bit of a shocking sleeping stage that it was almost like I got so anxious about not sleeping that then it just caused me into like this snowball of not sleeping at all. Mm. And I got like anxious about then not sleeping yes. and it became like a job to go to sleep because I was like, oh, fuck, here we go again. This is going to be an absolute chore. Yep. Um, that in itself is is quite hard to sort of manage. What would advice or what would you sort of give to anyone that finds himself in that yeah, sort so of that, state? So that's a really common way that people yeah. do develop insomnia yeah, um, right. where you start sleeping poorly and then you start focusing more on that poor sleep and, the, and anxiety and performance pressure like we were talking about before becomes an issue. Um, I'll, I'll run through some sort of general general sort of tips around that, but um, it's probably good to just think first about um, the role that that sort of arousal waking system plays and, and the sleep system. We could talk about how do we sleep? What's going Please on do. in the brain yeah, when we sleep well? Go so, for it. Um, so there's sort of three key things that need to all work in, in synchrony for us to, to sleep well. And uh, two of them are related to the, the sleep system turning on and, and one of them is that the waking brain. So um, so with the, the sleep system, um, there's two key things. Firstly, there's what we call um, the homeostatic um, sleep pressure system, but think of that as sleep debt, basically. It's the longer we've been up, uh, then the more tired we'll get, the more drowsy eventually we will get. and uh, the neurons in the brain, the circuitry will eventually turn on and we will go to sleep. Um, so no one can stay awake forever. Um, so that's one key important part, that sleep debt that builds up. The second key important thing is our body clock. So the medical term is the circadian rhythm. Um, and the, the body clock is a, a crucial part of all bodily functions. Um, so everything uh, runs on a, a timing scale and sleep's just one of those components. Um, and the hormone in the brain, melatonin, is the, the sort of thing that, that is the hormone that not only works in the brain but sends the signals out to the rest of the body mm -hmm. to set the body clock. And uh, and we we have a body clock that turns on for sleep in darkness as melatonin is being produced overnight and then light switches that off in the morning and uh, and that tells the, the brain and the body it's now it's now daytime. So we need we need a body clock that's set correctly and, and the body clock can get shifted, which you know jet lag is a typical example of that and we can talk about that and some examples of what we call social jet lag as well. Um, but if you've got your um, you know homeostatic sleep pressure set well, so you've been up for a long time, you're getting pretty exhausted. If your body clock's well set, so it might be sort of you know, 10, 10.30 at night, well, you'll feel pretty tired and sleepy. But the third crucial thing is you've got to now switch off the brain's what we call arousal systems or the waking thinking part of the brain. And that's often where it goes wrong as well, um, particularly you know, in modern society. We're all up late working or up on devices. We're you know, thinking about stuff. We're planning. We're ruminating. And if you do that, um, 
too late into the night, if you do that in bed um, or the bedroom, then um, it's not so easy to switch off. Um, and, uh, and that's when you can potentially start sleeping poorly. Um, and obviously some people are going to be more prone to others. Um, so so dealing, dealing with all of those factors, getting your body clock right, making sure that you've been up long enough to be tired, and then working on working on the brain is really important um, and, and switching off and having the right routines and, and rhythms. Now, please take this anywhere. You know the, the right rhythm to go with this sort of chat. I'm just going to throw in shit questions every now and then <laughs> okay. just to sort of for my own safety, but like take this wherever you like. I was thinking just of that last bit around switching the brain off. You're talking about, you know, ruminating or technology and those things that stop that third sort yep. of key part to switch off. If you're seeing a patient or someone that, you know, is struggling with that sort of sense, what are maybe like the sort of first three or four things that you'd say to them to switch off um, or, you know, to not do or to do better for that third sort of facet to be in a better shape to sleep? Yeah, sure. So so one of the key things initially is you've got to make sure you differentiate the bedroom or, and the sleeping environment from what you do outside of that because our brains are really good at forming associations with things and just having sub- subconscious habits happen. So, so you want to preserve the bedroom and the bed particularly as a place where you know you have your intimacy, but also that you're relaxed and you're chilled and mm. that sleep happens. And if you one's just sleep. <laughs> so, so if you turn, um, you know, if you turn the the bed into a, a place where you you do that other mental stuff, yeah. it's going to interfere. So, um, so people often inadvertently start doing stuff in bed, um, you know, working on their laptops, all that sort of stuff. So, you, so it's really important to get the message across about about you take all that outside of the bedroom, um, and do that, you know, in the lounge room, in an office, or, or somewhere else. Um, then also you've um, you've got to be able to slide into that relaxation. Um, again, as I said, you can't often just turn it off instantly. So it's all about um, a proper wind down, as, as it's called, um, where you, you you give yourself time to do the stuff you've got to do. We all got to mull stuff over. We all got to think and plan. But do that at a dedicated time earlier in the evening mm-hmm. when it's, it's not now time for bed. Um, and then you can process it and you can say to yourself, okay, that's done now. Can't achieve anything more. I've got to just let that go. Uh, and then you, you can start building in some behaviours that are more relaxing. Um, now, whether that's just you know listening to some music, um, you know maybe listening to a podcast, um, having a cup of cup of herbal tea, or everyone's got different things they like yep. to do. Doing some <clears throat> yoga, meditation, something that, that helps you your wind down, get, getting your screens off. You know, we're, we're all you know just beholden to screens all the time but they activate the brain they also have some light which can interfere with sleep so we've got to get get all those things off and then also um, another key thing you know paradoxically is that with sleep um, if you think too much about it then it gets harder Um, and you put all this you know saying before put performance pressure on yourself so you've got to just try and get the little sort of mental link of um, doing the right behaviors that enable sleep to happen but not actually overthinking it and um, and that includes things like not thinking too much about the time and counting the hours of how much you sleep mm. um, you know obviously we, we all want to get enough sleep but um, that's a bit different for everyone and we want to get the right sort of you know quantity and consistency with our sleep as well so um, we, we say it's good to have a consistent wake-up time. That's really good to keeping our body clocks, our circadian rhythms pretty well set. Yeah, we get, and get up, we can get light exposure, physical activity. 
that'll mean that we're going to be programmed to get ready for sleep in the, in the night time. But when we go to bed, um, it's we'd be a bit less specific about what time to go to bed in many cases. For some people, it's sort of easy. They say, yep, that's the time I'm going to bed and they tend to sleep well. But for others, I think about it more as a bit of a zone. So so this is the time you get up, yes, and this is the zone when you're going to go to bed. And within that zone, it's when you feel ready. So you don't want to go to bed when you're still churned up. If you're churned up, you shouldn't be in bed. You should be out. Um, and we even say that if you're lying there tossing and turning, brains churning, one of the, the key strategies is actually to get out of bed for a short period of time, change the scene, think about like re- it's called you know, re- rebooting the computer's hard drive and, and then go back in and, and try and chill out again. So they're just some of the sort of initial simple sort of things about trying to get the routine right. Incredible tips. I think even for me, I, I didn't know that was a strategy because I've found even if I do wake up or not struggling to um, fall asleep, I'm like, you know what? I just need to go get a glass of water, mm. get out of bed, even put the lights on, not stay in the dark, and then sort of start again and just go back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's that's not the even right trying to stay start in the again. Dark. There you go. Yeah. I never know. So that. Um, it, we, we generally try not to. You know, get people too stimulated. Yeah. So I'm not staring into the globes, but you know, yeah. So trying to, yeah. <laughs> if that if that works for you, that's fine. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very pragmatic. If something works for a person, and I think in overall terms it's going to be good for their sleep, then I'll run with that. Yeah. Um, we've got obviously some general things that we, we know that tend to work and some good general <clears throat> advice, but that, but we always tailor things to the individual about what works for them. I love what you said as well about um, the zones, because ideally, you know, I do wake up at the same time sort of every morning, but you, you, if you do put that performance pressure on yourself being like, shit, it's 9.30, I'm not in mm. bed yet, then you start to overthink it and you stress exactly. out first thing like, well, look, it's 9.30 to 10.30. 11, that's okay. As long yep. as I'm in bed at around this time, it's all good. It, it, exactly. That's exactly the right attitude to there have. You and then good, you, you yeah. chill out about it and then you start realise, yeah, actually, I'm starting to get pretty tired and sleepy now. And yeah. so, so you go to bed. Yeah. One other thing that I, when I did get a bit of support, as I was saying, with um, the sleep stuff that um, just from when I talked to my psych about is in someone that does ruminate. I'm not sure what you think about this, but I'd sort of just make sure I've done a checklist for tomorrow before I maybe five, six o'clock, seven o'clock, so it is brain dump everything that mm. I need to, yep. if there's anything I'm thinking Fantastic. of. Yep. It's just like, I'm just going to put this in my own mind so that when I wake up tomorrow, I know that it's all there and I'm not just going to bed thinking about that mental checklist yep. while I'm laying in bed. Uh, so that, that's, good that's great. You've had great advice. Yeah. So um, they, they often call that psychologists, they call it worry time or journaling. Yeah. Um, and there's something about writing it down often too. Um, often the good advice is to, yeah, whether you're on your computer or whether you actually write it physically, somehow just getting it out of your head and onto something else, um, as you say, the, the checklist, and then you can say to yourself, well, I've done that now, and yeah. you can move on. It can be as simple as, for me as well, it's almost just like, you know, remember to bring that charge tomorrow, you've got this podcast, do this, and all those bits of bits. I just put it as a the reminders on my phone, check yep. them off and tick them off in the morning. It makes me feel um, a lot better. Yep. Last one, which is, I, I'm really interested in your opinion on this, is I, I love a, um, sleeping with an eye mask. Mm-hmm. And it sort of was at the birth of um, the birth it, of the birth of my son as well, because Jaz um, being the mum, she was uh, breastfeeding. I wanted to stay in the room as well and be there to support, but also we'd sleep with a lot more light on in the room. Yep. So I found like once I slept with the eye mask on, I haven't really taken it off since, and it's been really cool for me. Yeah, excellent. And look again, darkness is what we need ideally yeah. for sleep. So um, some people don't find eye masks comfortable, so it doesn't work for them, but you know, if, again, if it works for you, darkness yep. is, is great because we want to avoid um, avoid light overnight if we can. Um, and, and then we want lots of, lots of light during the day. Huge. 
Um, what uh, caffeine? Okay, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to just roll through a few things that um, yep. obviously are going to affect our sleep and a lot of people consume. And yeah. it's interesting yep. to know like what these things do. I'm sure you get these questions a lot. But caffeine, the effect on our sleep, is it uh, up to the individual? Is it up to uh, – is there any sort of advice you'd give on that and, and when the last coffee should be and how much you should be drinking? Yep, yep sure. So like most things, uh, there is a lot of individual difference. And, and it's really interesting is that most of us are impacted by caffeine. It does alert us quite a bit. But there's a small proportion of people that that are caffeine insensitive. So, so there are some lucky people that could have a have a coffee at night and then just go to bed and and they'll be fine. But for most of us, that's not going to be the case. Um, and that, what we call the half life of caffeine. So if we think of half life, means how long does it take for um, half of that product to get metabolised by the body? And the half life of caffeine is pretty long. So sort of at least four to six or more hours, and it can vary a lot in different people. So so caffeine could hang around for a long time. And um, it's best to have your caffeinated drinks in the morning. Um, I tend to use 3 p.m. as a bit of a, a cutoff that it's generally not good to um, have caffeine after 3 p.m. because if you then sort of fast forward sort of six to eight hours where well, you're wanting to be actually you know, mm. getting ready for bed. Um, some people are even more sensitive and they know that they can't, can't have it at all, you know, after lunch, for example. But yeah, but certainly from mid-afternoon, for most people, it should it we shouldn't have it. You know, it's strange. You go to a, you go out for dinner at a restaurant and they come around at the end and say, "Who wants a coffee?" Mm. It's um, uh, you know, it's a pretty strange thing. But it's it's best if most of us don't, don't say yes to that. Is it true as well that even if it doesn't affect you going to sleep, it affects you getting into that deeper sleep later? So it might not necessarily be helping you. Yeah. go, but it's yep. stopping you from getting into the deeper yeah. rim. Yeah, that, right? that's that's correct. So it'll affect your sleep later on through the night as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. No, even if it sure. doesn't affect you actually going or it doesn't make yep. you feel less tired, it's still not letting your brain switch off. Yeah, that, that's right. You'll have more more disturbance and what we call arousals through the night, potentially yeah. if you've got uh, something like caffeine on board. Uh, screens. Mm-hmm. It's very simple to say that you know, don't go on your screens before bed, but let's be realistic. Yeah. Like it just, yeah. it, it, it's not possible. Like I'm, I've tried that. I have a full-blown addiction to my phone. I'm definitely going to be on my phone. Is there anything still that we can do? Is it maybe like just not consuming it on full brightness, obviously? Or yeah. is there glasses, the blue light glasses, do they help? Yeah, they do. So all, all that is important. And look, you're right. Screens are part of what we what we do. Um, and not just kids. You know, I got I got kids and, and they're on their screens all the time. But we as adults are as well, aren't yeah. we? So it's part of, part of society. So it's just trying to to do it the best way we can. And and the, a light um, is a big factor from the mm-hmm. screens. And um, blue light is particularly the wavelength that, um, you know, is worst for us. So so having the, you know, sleep and dark modes and filters that you can put on your phones and devices, um, they do provide some benefits. So it is important to, to keep the, the brightness and dullness as low as possible um, at night. And uh, you know, there's blue light blocking glasses. You can get those sort of orange tinted lenses which block the, the blue wavelengths. Um, they have a role as well. Mm. But even with that, we think a lot about screens, but we often don't think enough about um, what about the rest of the lighting in the house. Yeah. So, you know, we've got LEDs everywhere sometimes uh, and they can be quite bright and, and they can often be much brighter than the phone you're looking at or the computer you're looking at too. So, 
so try and have soft lighting. Um, you know, you can get you know smart lighting now that sort of softens and uh, and changes colour through the evening. You know, try and use yellow warm light rather than the bright blue light. All of these things when you're buying light globes or putting your house together. Um, you know, you want bright lighting. As I said earlier in the day, late afternoon, you want bright lighting. But then through the evening, if you can try to you know, do whatever you can to minimise the light, it will help your circadian rhythm. It will help your sleep. Awesome. When you speak about the circadian rhythm, um, there's a point you mentioned before about with, with light. So obviously, mm-hmm. uh, blue light, not great. Yellow light, red light is red light a thing as well? Yeah, well, all, all lights just part of the part of the spectrum. But red lights, um, you know, at the good end, the and good blue end. lights at the bad end. Yeah. Fantastic. But with the circadian rhythm, you're saying that even in terms of jet lag, maybe if we talk about that for a second, you're saying that even if your body clock isn't right with the mm. time of the day, yep. your circadian rhythm can still pick up light and dark. Knowing that your brain should go to sleep then too is that am I just well, making some sense? Well, yeah, I think what you're trying to say is that it gets the term we use is mis, is misalignment. Yes. So um, that's sort of what I'm thinking. So uh, you know where I'm going with yeah, this. Yeah, I know. I know where you're going. Okay. Yeah. So um, and um, so what we want, and we know we sleep best, and we know that a lot of our other health outcomes are best, and we feel best when our internal body clock, our circadian rhythm, is well aligned with the the natural light dark cycle yep. um, that's why sort of getting up at dawn and, and so forth works so well and then when we're misaligned and so the common thing is the jet lag is a common thing but also you know shift workers you know the reality is that we have a 24-hour society so we have people that, that need to work shift so they they are often trying to sleep at times um, and will get up at times which don't fit in with what either the external cues or their own body clock is telling them to do um, we can we know that can help hurt their sleep can make them you know feel rubbish, it can, it can have other adverse health outcomes. And a really common thing, I mentioned the term before, social jet lag, a really common thing um, in society, and particularly when we're younger, is that um, we we exhibit different uh, sort of sleep timing or sleep and wake hours in, during the week compared to the weekends, where um, on the weekends, you know, go out, stay out late, and then you know you're a bit tired and exhausted, so you have a big sleep in. And what happens is you tend to then shift your body clock because uh, your body clock naturally wants to uh, wake up later. We can talk a little bit in a minute if you want about how that works. But um, so you sleep in a lot on on you know Saturday, and then you do the same on Sunday. So then Sunday night comes, you haven't been up that long, and your body clock shifted. So it's really hard to go to sleep Sunday night. You don't sleep well Sunday night, but you get up early Monday because you've got to go to work. And then you sort of cycle through that, getting up early, probably a bit not getting enough sleep because you're finding it hard to sleep during the week. And you're having to get up early for work or school. And then the weekend comes and you go back and do the same again. And you have you stay up late, you have your big catch in, and you have this wonderful catch up sleep that, uh, that you know, you, maybe helps you feel a bit better. But it traps you in this cycle of your body rhythms not being synchronized. And, and we know also that now increasingly that, um, sleep regularity, you know, getting up at a similar time is actually really important. And, um, and although at times we'll all need to sleep in, it, it's healthy to try and avoid the really long sleep-ins and that if we need a bit of a catch-up, just sleep in for an hour or two and then quickly recalibrate um, and try and get back to your normal rhythms. Um, even if it means, look, you're more tired that day because you've had a late night, you slept in just a little bit to sort of help get you through the day, you know you're more tired, but you can almost use that in a positive way, thinking, well, I'm going to sleep better tonight because mm-hmm. I know I'm exhausted, so that sleep debt that I've built up uh, will really help me. 
And you can use psychologically these things often in a positive way to know that I'll, and, and if your body clock stays well adjusted, it'll, it'll help you get back into a, into a rhythm. Being a young father now, the sleep-ins is, is something I do miss, but I think it's actually holding me in good stead because, I, as I said, I am so tired when I go to bed. Yep. Putting that in, in, the, in the language of a young, young man or woman listening to the show today, that situation sort of sparks me going, okay, think about it, going out on the weekend, mm. you're having your beers, um, or your wines, and you're, you get home late, say so you get home at you know, 12, 1, 2, 3 a.m., and people might think, well, I want to get my eight hours, so I'm yep. sleeping till 10 a.m. when I normally get up at 7. Yeah. But you're saying it's actually better to like, no, you do cut do, it a bit do short. Do the crime, do the time, <laughs> get up early as you get up as you normally would, and then would you say maybe or, or even s- similar to it's, similar it, to it is hard because it's we don't we know that if you get just three or four hours sleep you're going to really struggle. Yeah. Um. So, so it's all a bit of a, a balance. Um. So you, as I said, sleep in a little bit, but as I said, an hour or two you can get away with, as long as you quickly recalibrate back. But if you sleep in for five hours longer than normal you know that'll really throw you, you out up. that's yeah. right um and you are better off yeah <laughs> for, you know as a young person as you say do the do the crime do the time yeah. i think you were saying so yeah. um darcy's a, a big one for that he just spends his weekends out partying and, and and doing all sorts of mischief which is it's not i tell him not to but it is what it is um we we're talking before about um th- with that hmm. sleep ins no as we said well you know as much as we try not to what about napping in the afternoon? So uh, napping is a really interesting one. So um, in most cases, it's actually a good thing often. Um, so our body, back to our body clocks, the yep. circadian rhythm, um, there's there's two sort of mini sleep periods. There's the big one overnight and there's a little mini sleep period in the afternoon. Mm. Um, and uh, and so that our bodies are actually sort of programmed and ready for a sleep. And you know, as you probably know, in some cultures, there's still the siesta that goes on at that time. Even in our sort of westernised culture, you know, hundreds of years ago, we used to um, more commonly have those, those sort of naps and siestas. So our bodies are used to napping, um, and we know that there's a lot of benefits you can get out of napping, particularly when you do it at that right time. Um, particularly if you haven't had enough sleep. So, you know, for example, if um, back to that example you've, give, you've given, so if someone's had a, a big night out or Parsi something. Parsi Darkinson, for <laughs> yeah. example, say that's yep. his name. So you're better off getting up at a similar-ish time in the morning yep. and then having a, a short nap in the afternoon yep. and then getting back into your normal, to help you catch up and then, but only a short nap and get you back into your normal rhythm. Yep. Before what time do you think? Like what does oh, that look nap? again before three o'clock ideally? Yeah. So um, so just after sort of lunch is yeah. the best time to nap. And look, napping is also best if it's if it's brief. And so you know people can sleep anywhere from five or ten minutes through to a few hours. Mm. And interestingly, often the few hours sleeps are the worst ones because you get into really deep sleep. I've had them as yeah. well. You wake you up, wake and you're up, like, you feel terrible. Know, where yeah. where, where yeah. was I? That's right. Yeah. We call it sleep inertia or sleep grogginess. It's like you know someone's hit you over the head with a hammer. Um, and it takes an hour or two to get going. And we even know when we do testing on people, mm. they don't function as well if you've had a really long, deep nap. Yep. Whereas if you have a short nap, um, so generally less than 45 minutes, but you only need sort of anywhere from sort of 10 to ten to 30 minutes usually for a short nap. And, and that's often very refreshing. You don't get into the really deep sleep. You tend to wake up better. And we know performance can, can improve uh, with naps. It's really interesting. I'm a, I'm a big napper. Like I've always, not even joking. Like I, on the weekends, it's it is harder now to to get a nap in. But I, 
would often just if I as soon as I lay down yep. on the couch, like bang, I'm done for at least twenty, thirty minutes. But I've yeah. definitely had those ones where if you have had a bigger night, you can fall asleep for hours. Yeah, so you better. You, you <laughs> it's feel good terrible. to try and avoid that. You should. Yeah. So you should set an, if you want to actually have a nap, set an alarm. Set an alarm. Yeah, yep. and get yourself up and. And the general recommendation is say, oh, look, if you want to say nap for 20 minutes, we'll give yourself maybe 10 to, to fall asleep. To fall asleep. Yep. So set the alarm for <laughs> half an hour. Um, and, and also remember that when you try and nap, that when, when we're in lighter sleep particularly, we're not actually very good at estimating whether we've slept or not. <laughs> so sometimes you lie down and think you have, have a bit of a nap. You're not sure whether you've actually slept or think you maybe haven't, but you might have actually gone a little bit into, into some light sleep stages and that, you can still get some benefit out of that. So just, and even if it's just switching, giving you half an hour to switch your mind off mm. and, just, and just chill and relax. Really, really interesting. You're speaking before about uh, like respiratory, um, obviously breathing is, is very important yep. for humans. Is there is that to do with um, your respiratory in terms of like snoring and stuff like that as well? Is that like what? Yeah, so that's yeah. one of the um, uh, one of the common things yeah. that that we get to see. So and, this, and the reason in Australia why uh, most sleep specialists are also respiratory uh, specialists is that there's a strong link with with a condition called obstructive sleep apnea, which um, people who snore uh, at significant risk of, and and in fact, and because of that condition, that's what sort of got me me personally actually into sleep medicine. Yeah, right. um, because I, um, when I was went into respiratory medicine, um, we'd look after these people with sleep apnea, and we'd put them on treatment, and they would feel terrible, and they'd come back and feel fantastic. And I thought this is great, and and I got really interested in in the condition, and I used to love looking at patients sort of physiology on their sleep testing and uh, and then got to learn and train in more sort of sleep disorders so but obstructive sleep apnea back back to that is a really um, really common condition um, and uh, it basically is the airway the airway muscles relaxing at night so if you think about our, our airway if you think of where the, your voice box is the larynx there so below that um, there's cartilage rings in in the trachea leading down to the lungs that hold the airway open and stop it collapsing. <clears throat> but above that, there's a, a, a long sort of floppy tube and it's got to be quite floppy and mobile because we've got to breathe, we've got to swallow, we've got to speak all through that region. So when, when we breathe, there's a whole lot of intricate muscles in both the tongue and the walls of the, the airway which activate and open up and that lets the air in. It all happens pretty easily when we're awake. But when we go to sleep at night, um, those muscles switch off a lot um, and then when we lie down as well gravity tends to make everything sort of sag a little bit so th so now there's not so much space in the airway and what happens with snoring is that um, in order to get enough air in we start breathing harder using more pressure and force um, and that makes the tissues vibrate and 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 that's the sound we hear it's essentially that vibration of the the soft tissue is in the airway and look it, almost everyone will snore from time to time um, and uh, but just occasional or intermittent snoring is generally not a problem. But if it happens regularly, um, it can be a big issue. Um, one, you know, what a colleague of mine calls noise pollution. We have partners who aren't sleeping well um, uh, because of the disturbance from the snoring. That's a big thing. And it's uh, often a big reason why they might come and see someone like me, for example. Um, but also, along with the snoring, um, there could be um, disruption to sleep, sometimes just from the snoring itself, but more commonly because of this condition called obstructive sleep apnea, where the airway is actually now collapsing and people stop breathing overnight Jesus. or partly stop breathing. And then the brain's clever. It'll kickstart things again. <laughs> We're not going to just choke to death overnight yep. and we'll all occasionally do it. 
But um, when it happens regularly, it can really disrupt our sleep and it can lead to people feeling very tired, very drowsy or sleepy, sometimes dangerously sleepy in the day because they think they're sleeping for enough time, but it's just poor quality sleep. Uh, it can affect our blood pressure. It can affect our risk for heart disease if it's severe um, and you know, impact on our other health outcomes like sort of uh, stroke and cognitive decline when we're elderly, when it's really severe and uh, driving risk, so increase our risk for car accidents and productivity losses at work. So um, so sleep apnea and other sleep conditions um, you know, can have major impacts and, and mental health is another big thing. For sure. So sleep of all sorts, like what we've been talking about yep. with sleep problems, sleep insomnia, sleep apnea, all of these things uh, are interrelated with mood disturbance. Um, and, you know, we're not, it's, it's an easy kind of one to think about conceptually. If you're not sleeping well, you, you don't tend to feel good. Yeah. Um, and and then um, and that you can see how that can lead into oh, sort of mood sure. problems. It's like that and pure, you, you're anxious about sleeping, you don't sleep well, then you get more anxious because you're not sleeping well because you're tired, then you're actually more anxious. And it's just like a... Yeah, a, a cycle. And, yeah. And, and we know exactly right. And the same with depression that people who, who are depressed often either have um, trouble sleeping as well or they um, often, despite sleeping, they sometimes sleep too long too but long. still feel tired. So it can mm-hmm. go either way. Um, yeah, so, so, so sleep's uh, a critical part of yeah, not only the physical health, but mental health. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, we'll talk about some of the, the, the risks um, maybe in a little bit because I would like, you know, as much as it is confronting, I think it's important to know like how important sleep is. I mm. think until you get to like maybe your late 20s or early 30s, I think you maybe when it's, you become a parent, you start going, fuck, like, I actually want to take care of myself here because... I've got someone in the world, or I just want to get the best out of myself to mm. to be around to be as healthy as possible. Um, when we're talking about the snoring, or even just sleeping in general, I had a quick question here from Dean McGowan. Um, he asked, like, do <clears throat> does it matter what position I sleep in, stomach, back, side, etc.? And how do I change from sleeping on my stomach to a different position? Now, I suppose you can't help him um, change positions mid sleep, but. <laughs> In terms of the positions, we we'll just talk, yeah, yeah, obviously generically. Yeah. Um, so just ge- general advice, but um, so, so body position is really important, um, both with snoring and sleep apnea. Um, so it's in many cases worse when you're on your back. So um, so lying on your back, the airway is is at its most vulnerable. Um, so many um, people will get told by their partners that you know you're snoring loudly and disturbing me when you're on your back, and then if I elbow you and you roll over to your side, it, it then improves and gets a bit better. Sleep apnea can be the same, uh, although when it's most severe, particularly if you're carrying um, excess weight, uh, it often is the same in any body position. Um, we have to factor in, though, not only just your breathing, but there's you know musculoskeletal reasons why we sleep in different positions as well, That um, whether that's back, neck, all of those issues. So there's different reasons why people sleep in different positions. Um, sleeping on your side is the best thing from the airway uh, point of view. So you want to, if you are hopefully then going to be a side sleeper, make sure you've got, you know, appropriate sort of neck support with pillow and things like that. Um, and then also how do, how do we maintain, I think as you asked, how do we maintain that position? And and that can be tricky, but there's things that we can do. So we do move around normally um, during the night. So you might think, uh, well, I always go off to sleep on my right hand side, but we know that when we, um, uh, when we test people objectively that they move around and they'll spend time in other positions and often a bit on their back as well. On average, about a third of the night people spend on their back, we've sort of shown with stuff that we've done. Um, And people aren't always aware of that too. Um, 
Another interesting thing is if we do sleep tests on people, they're more likely to be on their back a bit because of all the equipment that, that we do. So we've got to try and also factor that in whenever we're assessing people. Um, but there's, in terms of, you know, then adjusting that position, um, then people try different pillow setups, um, you know, various kind of contoured pillows, wraparound pillows, those, those sort of things. But there's also, you can even um, uh, get a bit technological about it. There's now sort of um, treatment devices that you wear, either on the back of the neck or the chest, that actually measure your body position. They've got a phone Jesus. accelerometer in them and... And that, and uh, and they can give you a little buzz or a warning sign you're on your back and prompt you to roll over. Um, they they do they do work a lot, but often, well, not always do people find them comfortable. They work well for some people, not not always for others. Um, but again, because we you know sleep in different positions for different reasons, um, sometimes maintaining a, di- a body position can be difficult because of yeah, other yeah, pain and musculoskeletal issues. For sure, I appreciate that. That's actually really interesting. I'm trying to think what i i think i'm a side sleeper but yeah definitely stay on my stomach as well um mm. throughout the night just in case you're interested um <laughs> the the stuff as well um that's i'd love to get your opinion on is the like natural um medication so mm-hmm. there's obviously you know if you get to a stage where you need sleep consult you'd obviously see someone like yourself that can actually support from a, a medical point of view but stuff that could maybe help someone in that natural realm um the I, I think I tried before like the natural melatonin gummies. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest? Do do you think they're worth trying for someone, or would you just seek uh, medical professional help first? So, um, <coughs> happy to talk a bit about melatonin. I think yep. with melatonin, it's best to seek um, I think advice of a doctor. Yeah, I'll explain why just in a minute. But just in in the broad sort of group of um, of just supplements and things. Yep. So um, there's a lot of things <laughs> out there that are you know said to potentially help with your sleep. Um, the tricky thing is that there's not a lot of, you know, I suppose, research evidence to know how well they do work. The key thing, as long as they're not harmful, is the important thing. And also that we know that um, anything that makes you just more relaxed and, and chilled is going to help with your sleep anyway. Yep. So, so again, as I said, I, I'm pretty pragmatic. As long as people aren't taking something which I think could be harmful or dangerous, um, that if, if it's helping them stay relaxed and calm and, and helping them with their, their sleep, then I'm, as I said, I'm happy to run, run with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, obviously pharmacological sort of, you know, um, um, things that we think about and consider as well. And melatonin is is one of them. So melatonin, yep. we said is before, is the, the hormone the brain produces to help regulate the body clock. Um, so you can administer that um, is, uh, in different ways, um, tablets most commonly. And... Um, it's uh, depending on what country you're in and where you get the stuff from. Uh, it varies a lot about whether it, there's a lot of melatonin or really not much. <laughs> yep. So, um, so in Australia, melatonin is um, at any significant you know uh, dose is a prescription medication. So there's a there is a um, a long acting melatonin you can get from any pharmacy. It's over the counter for over 55s with mm-hmm. sleeping problems, but it's on prescription for younger and. Um, you can get what we call compounded melatonin, so pharmacies that make up their own um, medication in the store, and you can, which is uh, a bit more of an immediate release acting. You can get that at various compounding pharmacies on prescription. Um, there's a very big, um, and then then you get if you get over the counter stuff in Australia, um, it's not going to have the significant sort of quantities or dose that it would you'd probably need if if that was felt 
by the practitioner to be yep. helpful for you. Overseas, though, it's a different story. So in America and in, in Europe, it's a, sort of an unregulated buy it over the counter. Mm. And, and people do buy it online and stuff like that. And the tricky thing is, though, that there's you know, a few studies that show that um, what people say is in there isn't always what's in there. Mm. Um, there could be more melatonin. There could be less. So if you buy something like that online, you, you don't know really what you're getting. Whereas if you get something on prescription here, then at least you know you've got a doctor who's kind of supervising and you, and you know what you're getting as For well. Sure. Um, yeah. And it, in terms of how well does it help people sleep is probably a, you know, a question people often ask about melatonin. And um, it depends partly what are you taking it for. So firstly, if you're taking it to help with your body clock, well, that's where it's probably got its most potential benefit. So if people um, have either you know jet lag, we know it can help in that to readjust. If people have got a shifted body clock, a common one is where what we call a delayed sleep phase. So people just naturally stay up really late and, and then sleep in late and have trouble getting up in the morning. Um, taking melatonin in the evening along with appropriate light exposure in the morning can, can help with that. People often use melatonin as as a sort of almost sleeping tablet. Uh, it, it's pretty weak as a sleeping tablet. Um, and for many people, it doesn't really do anything much. Um, it, it can, if you look at across, you know, the evidence across, it, it can have a small effect. Some people do <coughs> seem to respond to it. Um, but yeah, but but not everyone. Mm, really interesting. It's good to know. I, um, I just, you know, like every every person at the moment, you listen to a lot of Andrew Huberman and he had this yep. like cocktail of of sleep um, sort of stuff to, to do. And I sort of looked into that. And yeah, there's some some places you can get the melatonin gummies, but I, mm. they are at a very low level. And I yep. personally didn't feel any... Any benefit from them, from yeah, them. yeah, not surprising. You never yeah. know what people are doing. Um, is there an ideal amount of sleep hours? Yeah, good good question, really common question <clears throat> that we get asked. And again, it's um, – so yes, there's an average sort of general recommendation, but again, there's a lot of individual difference. Yep. And it depends a bit on our age as well. So so for an adult um, like us, the we know that on average between sort of seven to nine hours is the, the recommended right amount of sleep time. It's probably sort of seven to eight in general is the, the, the commonest thing. Uh, and we know, and, and practically as well, given the way you know, society's set up and how well we are, that if we can get seven or more hours, then that's for most people going to be hitting a good target. But but some people do need a bit more that are, that are upper end. And, and some people genuinely do need a bit less. But people that actually only need a really short amount of sleep is really rare. Um, so if people tell you, I only need four hours and I'm fine, that's pretty rare and probably not the case. They're probably not performing as well as they think they are. So, But usually once you get below six hours, most people are going to not feel great um, if you're consistently getting less than six hours um, or not, not functional perform as well. So, so trying to get, yeah, that sort of seven to eight hours for an adult. Kids need more. So teenagers particularly, they, they need more um, sort of eight to ten um, and younger teenagers sort of even more again. Mm. But, you know, do our teens get that amount of sleep? In a lot of cases, pro- probably not. Um, you know, across society in general, um, we're all more likely to get not quite enough sleep. Um, and that's part of, you know, the messaging to try and help us get, you know, look, getting enough. But working out also what works for you. Um, so as I said, we're all a bit different. And and rather than an exact hour amount that you should be getting, that if, if you've got your good sleep timing and if you feel pretty rested and, and you're feeling pretty good, well, then that's, that's a good amount for you. Mm. Time, 
we spoke about before having a zone. Yep. So that's that's a really good point that I, I love already that we'll put into our big learnings today. But sleep um, before 10 p.m. versus sleep after 10 p.m. Is there, I've always heard like it's, you know, the hours before, if you can get to bed earlier, it is ideal to be getting some great sleep then. Yeah, so probably what uh, you know, people tend to say more is around midnight, I think. Midnight. Um, but um, And what re- where that really speaks to, again, is the, the body clock and that alignment issue. So that um, if we're going to say, for example, if we want to get seven to eight hours sleep and if you want to get up at six o'clock, well, that means you've got to go to bed at about 10 or so. Um, now, if you're going to get, and we know that if that's where your body clock sort of wants to be then set and if that's going to well align you with the, the, the natural cycle. Well, if you're sort of getting the same amount of sleep but going to bed later and getting in later, it just doesn't seem to be as restorative often and you often maybe need a little bit more. So so I think that's where that, um, that comment of that the sleep you get before midnight is more important because what it, what it means is that you're actually getting to bed at a good enough time to enable your body clock to be well synchronized. Mm. And then, yeah, you are going to have the right cycles of sleep and, and have more chance of getting up. So it's sort of like reverse, just reverse engineering from when you consistently want to wake up, work yep. backwards work to backwards, then yeah. work that out. Um, best temperature to sleep in. This was always <laughs> such a, a big question when traveling on team yep. trips and you know getting the yeah, hotel rooms. Right. And even I was away at the moment, um, trying to work out the best temperature for the baby to work. That's, yeah, a, that's another yep. story in itself. but. What do it you is, think is the optimal? Yeah, and again, look, again, there's a bit of difference. So there are hot sleepers and cold sleepers. You probably found that amongst, I don't know, the, your colleague, your, your teammates, all that. So, um, you know, in general, sort of, you know, they talk about sitting, say, between 17 to 22 degrees um, uh, in the in the room, the hotel room, for example. But it, it depends. So um, normally on the cooler side is, is better for most people. Um, so that, you know, body te- and natural core body temperature drops as we uh, go through the night following that uh, our body clock rhythm. So um, about sort of 4 a.m. is the sort of lowest point of our body clock. And so, um, you know, if we sort of start warm and then we've, you know, got a, a coolish room and, and we then our body sort of natu- helps our body naturally cool through the night. Um, but, yeah, but again, there'll still, there'll still be differences. So sometimes, you know, it can be an issue with partners because sometimes one partner wants, you know, it a bit hotter and another another part of partner wants it wants it cooler. Um, so you've got to work within that. Within that range. Yeah. Yeah. I know who's winning that battle. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's not me. Um, the lack of sleep, um, but we spoke about tips of, of sleeping before, obviously, but the byproducts of not sleeping well, or if we're not respecting our sleep, or at least trying to get the best out of our sleep. You said before about you know some of those risks um, that accompany that. Like, what what would you say to someone that maybe isn't taking their sleep as seriously? Like, how important really is it for our bodies and our longevity and our health? Yeah, so look, uh, look, really important as we said. So it affects all of those things, physical and mental health. And so what we, what we try and you want to try and obviously get a hook in with someone to get the message, <clears throat> and um, and often with you know young people, often it's a bit hard to project out thirty years because mm. that those potential harmful effects are often a long way off. Um, so we've got to educate about that, but often the hook is to think about. You know, well, what about the here and now? So about about your quality of life, about how you feel, um, and you know your your mood, your mental health. If you work on all of those things, um, you're going to feel better, um, and then you're doing the 
the things as well that are going to actually be good for your physical health too, keep your blood pressure under control and um, and same, you know, exercise is the same. You know, we want our pe- patients and we want a population to exercise. And if you're only exercising because you're trying to reduce a heart attack in 30 years, it can be hard to keep it going. But if you exercise because you feel great, then you'll, you're more likely to do it again you know, tomorrow. Mm. It's interesting because uh, exactly what you're, you're sort of saying now, My uh, the guy that I sort of go and see regularly around like psych and, and whatnot, he will often say to me, everything I do out of prioritizing everything, whether that be journaling, meditation, exercise, anything, the number one thing he prescribes and tells me to do is just do your best to get a good night's sleep. Mm. Yep. That's great. It's great that he, he's he switched on to that yeah. because it's often it's often neglected by people. Uh, you know, you often hear people talk about the three pillars of good health, exercise, nutrition, um, and then sleep's the third one. But sleep sometimes gets forgotten about, um, and people focus on maybe the other other things and um, and things you know, get in the way of sleep. So it's about trying to again make it a make it a priority. Mm. Um, if you you know if you make it a priority, you're likely to do the right things about it. Don't want to get as a, as dire of this because it's quite a harsh comment to say in terms of sleeping. But is it is it actually true? Like when we're awake, we're dying, and when we're <laughs> sleeping, we're rejuvenating our body. Well, is that is that? Well, a, no, I wouldn't probably describe a lot. No, that, neither would anyway. I. It was someone yeah. else said that in here. That was from someone. Yeah, that, that, that's okay. It. But yeah. the, the rejuvenation part certainly <laughs> yeah. certainly true. And it's interesting. You think, well, how does sleep? Um, how does sleep work and, and why, why do we sleep? So for so many years, we've tried to work out well, why actually do we sleep? How does it make it feel better? And, and recent research has seemed to indicate that um, there's, um, from a brain point of view particularly, there's also issues with the, the, the tissues in the body, but in the brain, that there's a lot of waste products that are produced that, um, that don't get easily cleared. There's a clearance mechanism that's, that's relatively slow. And um, the, that clearance mechanism uh, is much more active at night when we sleep. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the recent research on that is really around that well, one, of the, one of the key things about sleep is probably to just help sort of clear those, those waste products to, to rejuvenate us um, neurologically and, and help us feel better and help, help keep the body functioning and going. Huge. And is that, uh, not, I'm not going to even try and use the um, scientific sort of terminology, but like our prefrontal cortex is that that's like where the fight or flight well the, the prefrontal is more sort of the uh, about where all the thinking and planning yep. goes but that's um, where the, we the, yeah and then dr- well the fight or flight often feeds into sort of the inner parts of the brain around what they call the limbic system and yep. so forth um where then often sort of fear and and those sort of things can take hold as well um but all of it needs to recover from yep. sleep and so, that just uh, holistically just drains all the toxins from every part of the brain. That, that yeah. yeah, that's right. Crazy. Um, I'd love to get into dreaming. Mm-hmm. What yep. what is dreaming? So I dream- have some weird dreams, man. Yeah, it's, I've had some weird <laughs> ones lately too. Well, it's interesting. It's again one of those things that almost everyone will be able to talk talk about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so look, dreams are literally just just <clears throat> activity, mental activity that that goes on. Um, uh, imagery that goes on while we're uh, sleeping. REM and non-REM, you were saying before yeah, as well. It does happen in both, um, but more prominently in REM sleep and probably the more kind of bizarre emotional sort of dreams do t- happen in REM. And um, 
Uh, how well we remember our dreams is uh, really variable, actually. Uh, we know if you wake up during a dream, you're more likely to remember it. But an interesting thing is that if you don't, and maybe you think about this, if you don't immediately think about the dream, the memory of it fades it really quickly. It goes. And then later that day, you can't remember what you're dreaming about. You, you remember it later. You're like, oh, yeah. I sort of remember that, but I can't remember what, what happened. That, that's right. But if you focus on it early, you're much more likely then to remember that sort of dream. So, um, so you know, some people might think they don't dream, but everyone is dreaming. It's just whether you do actually remember it or wake up from it. And one of the reasons why we probably remember dreams more in the morning when we get up is we have more REM sleep in the morning. Often we have this big long REM period shortly before waking. So so that can be something which then triggers us sort of, um, uh, you know, waking up and remembering uh, you know, something from that. Mm, I know dreaming, this is probably more of a, a weird dream sort of thing. You read all those dream books and those meanings of, <laughs> of certain things. Do you believe in any of that stuff well, or is no, it more there's, just... There's no, there's no good evidence that um, people, you know, have tried a lot of, put a lot of meaning on dreams. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of theories out there, but there's not there's not any sort of I suppose any universally agreed theory about about what dreams mean or why we dream. Um, so um, yeah, but certainly some some people have got some interesting ideas. They so. sure <laughs> yeah, like the, you know if you dream of your falling or if you dream of money or envy and all these sort of yeah, yeah I've definitely looked into them. Not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> listen to questions I'd love to get into because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are hanging on to to hear theirs. Um, we couldn't get through them all because there is there is a, a, a fair few of them. At M underscore Soz, how do I fall asleep quicker? Now, we did talk about this at the start, but what is there anything else that you'd sort of recommend? We've heard of counting sheep. Is that a thing that you'd, you'd sort of... Yeah, well, um, so on top of the stuff we've already spoken about, yep. which hopefully largely answers that question, the counting sheep one's an interesting one. So um, I, there's a, a related technique to that which I think can can help. So... So when you count sheep, you're counting numbers up. And what, what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to stop your brain from wandering and thinking about stuff because that often is what, what stops people getting to sleep or stop, stops them getting back to sleep when they wake up. But the trouble is that um, uh, when you – so you've got to give it something to think about to stop it wandering. And But if you start counting sheep or counting numbers up, pretty quickly you start thinking about, well, you know, your brain actually has to – Act out, well, what's the next number? What's the next number? And then you start getting to high numbers and you start thinking, oh, this isn't working. Mm. And, and you get frustrated. And um, Whereas if you can do a really short, repetitive loop where you block out all time, you don't care how long it takes, you're not thinking about time, you're just going to wait for the alarm to go off. And we know you can hold sort of up to sort of seven or eight numbers in your, you know, your brain at the one time without really thinking about it. So just count up to five or six. Um, rhythmically, slowly, start at one again, or go go down and then back up, or what you know. A, a so loop you lose track you. of where you're actually you lose yeah. track of where you are. You're not getting frustrated because suddenly you're 122 and you're still awake, um, and and you can just focus on that process of doing that little med- it's a little meditation sort of process that, that you're doing. So um, so that that can be helpful. I've had patients say that sort of thing is helpful. I do it myself if I'm if I'm sort of struggling to get to sleep to try and switch the brain off. That's it. That's really great. Would you say as not to joke about it, but the, the counting, would you actually like do that, pretend like the five, or are you actually just talking about counting? C- counting, the way I suppose uh, do it and, and suggest to do yeah. it is just just uh, think of and, so, and visualise the numbers so yeah. that you're, you're visualising them and you're, um, uh, you're saying them uh, in your mind. But but again, everyone's different. So if if there's a, there's a, a simple, you know, non-emotive image that, 
can be part of that process. That, that's what it's really about, something that's repetitive, that you don't really have to think about, that's non-emotive, that's, that's inherently relatively calming and relaxing. Mm. So it doesn't have to be counting. It can just be something I think that's like, you know, repetitive. It doesn't like have that. a start and a finish. It's just sort of, in, cause it's a really good point because yeah. I have sort of tried one before, but only do this sometimes and it does it does have an end to it is I sort of hmm. will drive my favorite route somewhere. Yep. So for example, I could just like, not that it's my favorite route, but like drive to work, you know, picture all the places I'm, the roads I'm going or drive down. When I was in Sydney, there was this route I'd drive to like the beach. But then after, as I said, if I don't fall asleep in the first sort of few routes start running out, you're like, fucking mm. hell, I need you, them. You get yeah. frustrated, yeah, yeah. and it gets harder. So, <coughs> yeah, do. so keep, keep it simpler, keep it more repetitive, and there's no ending to it. That's, yeah. that's one of the key things so that, you know, yeah, time's now not relevant. Awesome. Love that. Um, at Jake Mac 28 what can I do if I'm constantly waking up at least once a night, e.g. to go to the toilet? Uh, so, uh, so a few things. Firstly, it depends on a couple of levels. So is there... Um, just make sure, I suppose, that there's um, you know not a, a reason why you're going to the toilet. And again, partly this could be then ha- depending on how old you are, what issues could be. So, like for an older guy, you know, if their, their prostate enlarges, and that, that can be one of the reasons. Are you drinking a lot of fluid? Um, have you got diabetes, and maybe your sugar control's not good? So you just got to, you know, as a doctor, you know, you think about all those sort of things, obviously. But just from a, a sleep perspective. Part of that too then is going to be uh, one of these what we call habitual or conditioned behaviours that sort of tends to happen. Um, and um, and so you have to think about, well, do you actually need to go to the toilet? You know, how, how much urine are you producing? Um, or is it just that you've tended to wake and notice, oh, I think I need to go, mm. and, and then and then you're off to the, the bathroom there. So, um, so then the question would probably boil down to... Um, as well as those things I mentioned, you know, how how long are you taking to get back to sleep? Because if you're just off the toilet quickly back to sleep again, for most people, it's not going to be a problem. Um, if you're taking a, a while to get back to sleep and if that's starting to become a problem, then, then there's things you can do um, to try and help that. And if it becomes a, a real problem, then it, it you know, p- part of the behavioral strategies that are used for insomnia by psychologists, et cetera, uh, often include, and it sounds really paradoxical, um, uh, bedtime or sleep restriction therapy. So if people are waking a lot overnight and uh, and struggling to get back to sleep, they're spending a lot of time lying in bed awake and often then going to bed earlier to try and get more sleep and in bed for ages but mm-hmm. not getting much sleep. So what we, what we recommend as part of a package of other behavioural things is to actually really shorten your amount of time in bed, get up at the same time, it builds your sleep debt, so deliberately making you more tired and exhausted and um, and almost forcing your body to sleep through those periods when it would normally wake up. Mm-hmm. And when you, and you start doing that, you, you then start to uh, break that cycle. You get, you get a bit of confidence about your sleep and relax a little bit more about it. But when it's delivered um, by the psychologists or doctors and other practitioners, the key thing is then not to immediately go back to what you were doing, but is to just gradually lengthen your sleep. So you've actually got to maintain a little bit of sleep restriction for a while as you gradually lengthen it. So it's it's part of a package of what's called um, cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, which um, you know sleep psychologists could administer, and other practitioners and you know sleep specialists can administer. So yeah, not that that's cool, but it's it's great that there's so many other strategies to it than what you would you know what you'd ever think if you weren't educated on the topic. Because I think we. We're so accustomed to seeing psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, but sleep specialists, I suppose, is something where I know, for example, like my mum 
has never been a great sleeper. And I'm like, mum, just fucking, you got to go see someone and just talk to them about sleeping because there is so many things like this today from, you know, a one-hour conversation that I've picked up. Yeah, that so could ed- be, exactly. Could Education's be a big yeah. first step. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, go and see your GP. Um, you know, psychologists, um, they're often sort of, uh, you know, overloaded with all their other general work and um, sometimes don't get the time to focus on, on sleep as well, even mm. though it's so important. But increasingly, they're doing more and more training in sleep mm. as well uh, and spending more and more time focusing on sleep. And obviously, with the stuff you've said today, you're getting a lot of good advice. Yeah. So. Um, at Destagram said, is there any downside to a mid-AVO power nap for 30 to 60 minutes? I always feel much better afterwards. Should I take this one? So the, the power nap, yeah. Yeah, should I take yep, the advice on this? Up. Well, <laughs> Destagram, we'd say as long as you're waking up the same time early, you can have a, you can have a nap after lunch from about 12. Make sure it's before 3 p.m. 20 to 30 minutes, ideally. Set an alarm and maybe give yourself 10, 10 minutes leeway at the start. Well done, Dil. I'm a doctor. It's pretty easy. <laughs> Yeah, man, you studied for years. It's not that hard, mate. Like, really, like as long as you can just sort of repeat a few things, that's what we're you got thinking, it, you isn't got it? it sorted, yeah. Is that basically it? That's the that was good advice. Yeah. Somewhat advice. Yeah. Um, anything longer than that we don't want because then we can go into a deeper sleep and it can affect our sleep later on, yep. which is when we feel groggy. Like that. Well done. At Daniel Townsend, I have an immense trouble waking up in the mornings. Do you have any advice on how I can improve waking up without dizziness or snoozing my alarm? I feel you, brother. It's so hard to wake up sometimes. It is. It's hard. It, can, it can be, yeah. Do you know what I feel? I used to live in Sydney for a couple of years when I was, I was playing footy up there. And when we talk about light, mm. that I felt like I just bounced out of bed when I was living in Sydney because the sun was up. The sun was up, yeah. yeah. Whereas in Melbourne, uh, when we are, we are both recording this at the moment, I feel like in Melbourne it is really hard to get up, especially in those winter months. Like It is cold. It's dark outside. Mm. Yep. Is that correlate? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And look, that what you've said in the question plays into a lot of what we were talking about before about A, getting enough sleep, but also B, the, um, the circadian rhythm in our body clocks. Yep. So so there's different reasons why you can wake up feeling tired and unrefreshed. Now, and I, you know, to say at the outset, it, it potentially could be a sleep disorder, for mm. example. So we mentioned sleep apnea. So... So if the simple things that, you know, like we've discussed aren't making a difference, then then maybe you might need me to see your doctor about that. But um, but one of the, the key general things is that if you're getting enough sleep, but if you're if you're waking up at the appropriate body clock time and you're then getting morning light exposure, your body will naturally wake up more easily. So it's yeah, it's about following all that sort of advice like what we're talking about. Um, Within that, there's always, though, there are what we call evening types and morning types. It's really interesting. Um, you know, we mentioned, again, the circadian rhythm. We keep coming back to it. But we love it. There's, um, there's genes that determine uh, where our own body clock sits so that, you know, on average, it's actually slightly longer than 24 hours and has to be constantly re-entrained. But some are a bit shorter, some are a bit longer. And um, some of us are more evening types, probably about a quarter of the population, you know, just have a strong preference of staying up late and much more difficulty naturally getting up in the morning. Mm. And about a quarter are strong morning types, the opposite, where they tend, tend to struggle staying up late a lot to go to bed early, and, and, but bouncing out of bed is <laughs> not a problem for them. And the rest of the population is sort of somewhere in the middle and, 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 and you know, and you can move between that a little bit with just light exposure and, and sleep behaviours and all of those sort of things. But yeah, but there's some of those individual differences that that you know we you know we try and factor in as well. Um, uh, you know, when you're just giving advice and general advice. For sure, I think with uh, with Daniel Townsend as well. It's a that he's just messaged in about the like waking up 
without dizziness. And again, let's keep this sort of generic for everyone. If it, if it is something serious, definitely go and see um, a professional. But if it's more, maybe in my case, of just being like, it's hard to wake up. I snoo- I, I'm a snoozer. Like I just mm. keep putting it off. I do five minute alarms every every time. Well, I used to. It's it's a bit harder now. I have to get up. But um, I think it is to that case of like just actually getting up and turning the light on it, and, it and is. waking up. Yeah. So you're forced, you're, you've got to just force yourself force to get up. To get you, up. You've got to try and... Talk about things like sort of priming yourself before you go to bed to try and, you know, sort of say to yourself, look, when the alarm goes off, I'm going to resist. I'm not going to hit snooze. Yeah. I'm going to get up. Um, and then, you know, try and um, make things as sort of uh, difficult as possible. So have have the phone or whatever it's waking you up out of reach. So, so you you've have got to it, go and get it. actually got to go and get it. Um, and and then also, if you, if you do always have trouble getting going, so do something, uh, get yourself moving. So like go to the bathroom, splash your face with cold water, uh, just do something like that. Turn the light on, m- move up and down, um, because you know if it is that you're just taking a, a while to get going. If you're one of those types that always sort of just struggles a little bit, you, you can help it just with these sim- simple behavioural things. And I suppose as well, talking about earlier, like if we do sleep in, say that is a weekend when you don't have to get up for work. Yep. That would then sort of stuff up your your day and your sleep debt, and then it. That's that. It just keeps sort of going into each other again. Yeah, exactly. You're if you're morning, sleeping too get, long, as yeah. I said, yeah. So a, sh- a little short extra is okay, but if it, if it's yep. too long, yeah, it becomes deleterious. Love it. Um, you and Dixon said, "Do you have any advice on getting a consistent sleep when you work inconsistent work hours at night?" Now, yeah, now, th- now that that's a hard one, and it's very hard to give uh, generic advice because it does depend around around the shifts that you do. When you start, when you stop, how many nights in a row you do? So the you know, shift work is a is a big thing, um, and uh, it's one where you try and work in with you're working what the shifts are, um, what a person's kind of natural normal sleep patterns are, how you can try and then adjust your sleep leading into the shift, and then also what to do as you're coming out of it. Um, and and there's not just night shift as well. There's you know afternoon late shifts. There's early morning shifts. Um, you know, we, you know, for example, in the hospital work that I do um, in respiratory medicine, you know, the nurses, uh, they a lot of their shifts uh, are either night, uh, early morning start for the day, or a late, uh, a late afternoon start into the evening. Mm-hmm. And and the hardest one, uh, you know, there to for them to manage is when they finish a, a late shift and if they have to then come on to an early the next day. Um, and you know, it, it makes it makes it hard when they've sort of slept in, they haven't had the chance to have enough sleep. So. Yeah, so so we've got to just try and you know work at that more at an individual level. Um, but at a broader level, what we have to try and do with workplaces, and and even if you've got the chance to discuss with your managers and workplaces, can you design your shifts to be more friendly on you as well? So that um, if you know what works for you, can you help negotiate a shift that yeah is going to be best for your sleep rather mm-hmm. than just sort of accepting something that. Um, that isn't working. I feel as well, like from from chatting to you today, and even my own experience. Like, is there is a a point as well on just being kinder to yourself and not, you know, when you say don't stress, you automatically want to stress <laughs> on something. But it's almost like being kind to yourself and giving yourself that grace of like, all right, didn't get it the one I wanted this week, or you know, it hasn't been great, but. I've got a plan, sort of going into the future of how this can sort of be better, yep. and yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. Now that it's it's super important, it stops that escalating stress and worry about <laughs> it, um, and just accepting that yeah, you've got a plan. You know, you can get yourself back on track. And again, that that little hook of well, the more you sleep 
badly, if you just get the other stuff right, it actually makes sleep easier. And you try and use that to sort of then relax about it and um, and then yeah, get, get get yourself back on track. For sure. And for anyone out there who is struggling to sleep, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen millions of hundreds of people like that. Like I thought when I was going through that period, I would never be able to sleep again. And you, you, you can get back to... And you can yeah. get your confidence back with it, which was which was really <clears throat> yeah. heartening confidence to know. Is a big confidence thing, is it? a big thing. Um, at Thomas Scarlson says, does waking up to an alarm have a huge impact on overall sleep quality? Really interesting because a part of this question I want to add on is you put an alarm on for seven, I wake up at six fifty. Like, yeah. it's, it's is there something in that or like? Yeah, there there is. Well, a lot, lot of us do. I do that too. Yeah. I have my alarm at six, and I tend to wake a little bit just before that, um, and. So, and you can, the whole alarm thing, you can look at it two ways. On the positive side of things, and I, I generally think that they're a good thing because they're, because you can always stay in bed a bit longer, can't you? Yeah. So, uh, the alarm is the prompt to say, okay, it's time to get up now. It's time to start the day, keep your body clock, your circadian rhythm well set and regulated. Um, the, you know, on that sort of negative side of things, that if, well, you know, if you're going to bed too late and you're, uh, not getting enough sleep and then setting alarms to sort of try and force yourself to stay up, then um, you know people might look at alarms then as a, as a bad thing because if I could get if I could get more sleep, then I would be better off. And although that is true, then the, the key there though is to change it so that your um, the alarm is actually again aligned well with when your body naturally does ideally want to get up mm-hmm. um, so that as I said there it's it's not only to help you get out of bed uh, if you were going to sleep in a bit longer but it's just that, that that prompt to get the day going so am I right in saying then just that an alarm is best used for a prompt to get out of bed and get your day started yeah. versus to actually wake up or, or both or no both. no definitely to wake okay. up as well <clears throat> yep yeah. um, and sense, yeah. Um, yeah and because as you know as I said you know, on a given day, you, you might not always wake up exactly at the same time. Yeah. So, so I think there is, in in general, there's benefit from having an alarm. Do you think that there's a, is it better to just have one alarm or do you, what's your opinion on the, the consistent snoozer? Like what's the, that yeah, issue? well, I think ideally just one alarm because yeah. you're, getting, you're getting up to it. So, yeah. um, but yeah. Uh, if you need to set multiple alarms in order to, to get up and get going uh, at the start, then then go for it. As I said, you know, try try and be pragmatic, and then and then move from there to sort of ditching the later alarms yeah. because you're getting better at it. So pre baby, mine was d- more do like what works. I used yeah. to like to wake up just knowing I could have a little bit more of a sleep. Yeah. Like I liked just knowing that I wasn't in a rush, and then I'd sort of lay there for twenty, and then six more alarms would yep. go and finally <laughs> I'd right. work my way to getting out of bed. But it's yeah, it's a little bit different these days, that's for mm. sure. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, unbelievable, Darcy. We're learning. We are learning so much. I want to recap top five tips today that I've sort of put down as we've been talking. Okay. Um, uh, I haven't been rudely sending messages. I'm just <laughs> writing down my favourite uh, bits and pieces. Number one is sleep zones. Now, I don't mean by the categories of that. I mean going to bed at yep. a certain time. I really liked how you said there's a zone of what you can go to bed. Yep. Consistent, try to have a consistent wake up time, but more set it as that. What would you say, two hour zone? But give yourself a bit of. Yeah, look, probably depends again. Probably yep. a bit shorter in general because sometimes you know if you stay up a bit too late, you get a bit wired and yep. wound up. Um, so so I would I'd say sort of shorter, so you know maybe an hour or hourish like sort of yep. zone where you go. Look, I normally go to bed around nine and ten thirty, but anywhere in between there is okay because otherwise, yep. like you said, if you go to bed at nine thirty, you're not tired, 
it's going to play on your mind. Um, I think the importance of the, what I really love talking about was the importance that sleep has on your mental health and around those um, performance stress of sleep and mm. um, wanting to feel better, but by lack of sleep makes you then feel worse. And then you get into this sort of like a spiral. And I know I found myself sort of in that spiral, which is so important for me personally, but I know everyone else in the world um, to stay on top of. So that correlation between sleep and mental health, again, maybe just a point on on that, like what you've found. Yeah, so um, you know, I think the I think the performance pressure is a really crucial one, like like what you said then, and we said a few times, um, and just just trying to just take that focus off that you have to sleep and you, be careful you don't catastrophize your thinking into if I don't get this amount of sleep, then tomorrow is going to be a disaster, and yep. what's going to happen if I don't sleep? And uh, because when you start thinking like that, it just gets harder, um, and it, it's not helpful. And but but we all can get through. You know, we, we've all had nights where we slept badly, but you still get through the day. So you yeah. just try and use all those sort of strategies to block it out, put it out of your mind, and 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 not let it escalate. Love it. From that, probably is a good one to go to was sleep debt. So talking about that sense of even if you've gone to bed late or you haven't had a great night's sleep, still consistently try and get up at that same time, and by then not sleeping through will then be tighter later and you can sort of get yourself back into that healthy loop again yep really liked that um napping mm-hmm. this is a great one i really like napping after 12 20 to 30 minutes 10 minutes sort of grace period put your alarm on if you need it siesta like i used to think that was a joke or a siesta but it, it really is great i i love it my wife doesn't nap she can't nap at yeah, all not, not everyone yeah can. she's yeah, like yeah. she's a does not nap ever even if the baby's been up all night she can't nap during the day whereas i'm i'm mm. pretty good at napping um and i'd have to say my geez it's hard to sort of pick the rest of them darcy but i'd have to say even um just that last little bit on the alarms i've been a big one um for the multiples these days it's not as much but i think being able to sort of just wake up, get up at that consistent time, even if it's on the weekend, and get out of bed, sort of get moving, wake up and start your day has been a big sort of game changer for me. Excellent. That's great. Did I nail it? Did Anything well. else from yours for your top tips? Uh, look, they're, they're all, they're all <laughs> they're good all ones. ones. And and then if you're having problems, the key thing then is if you're having problems and it's not working for you, go yeah, get some help. For go sure. and see your doctor. Talk, you know, if you're seeing a psychologist, talk to your psychologist. Um, is the best way to do that, sorry, is it to see a GP then get referred on yeah, to someone? Is yeah. that how so it works? GP, GP, yeah. Exactly. So GPs are there to sort of centrepiece and, and then they can of, often help you themselves. And, um, you know, we're, as I said, we're doing work to help try and educate GPs more and more about sleep. Um, and then depending on what you need, they might send you to uh, maybe a sleep psychologist or um, a psychologist who does a lot of general work but also good at sleep stuff. Um, and or they might send you to a sleep specialist if that's what you need. So the GP can help you work that out. Garen, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it, mate. It's been very educational. My head's spinning, um, and I'm looking forward to sort of heading home tonight and putting some some things in place. I'll have to tell Jazz I have, I can't do any uh, overnight feeds tonight or wake up for the baby because I'm practicing <laughs> my sleeping. Uh, Doctor Doctor Garen said that I've got to you know get that going. She'll love it. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. (laughs)